Welcome to the round 10 Super Coach Coach podcast. I'm Marcus, and this week, joined again by FB Donkey. Welcome. G'day, mate. I beat you this week, so always better to be mm. on the show when I've had a better week, even though it was a, a small margin again. Are we just going to rail on Tim English for this entire show? Because I'd be quite happy to just complain about him for an hour. Yeah, he's supposed to be out again this week. So, ugh. All right, deep breaths. We'll get through this. It'd be crazy to trade now. <laughs> I know. I almost rage traded him. <laughs> uh, why don't you perk up by telling us uh, how you scored for the weekend and uh, how you beat me despite having Pendlebury out as well. So it's actually a good week for you, all things considered. Yeah, when the week started with Pendlebury out on the Friday night, uh, with English already out, things were not looking good for my team. And so I had to play two extra rookies on field and they both scored in the 60s. So not a great result from that perspective, but I did score 22.51 and moved up about a thousand spots. So now sitting 8,600 and glad to see uh, my boy Ben Hobbs have another decent week with 73. So I think he has the third lowest break even going into this week now at 216k already. So pretty happy with that one. How quickly things can change. After the 13, I was looking all doom and gloom. I scored 22.44. I blame myself, really. I should have beat you this week, but... I also blame I, you, Marcus. <laughs> I played Rochelle. He got greedy and I played him over Hamilton, which was probably the obvious pick in hindsight. And the difference in about 26 points cost me the victory. So I will be... Sucking on the bitter taste of defeat for the week. Uh, but 22.44 is enough to still move up rank-wise. So 5,500, closing in on the top 5,000. And happy with that, again, considering we have both been playing without Tim English for multiple weeks. I haven't checked the ladder, but it's about 250 points so far. I'd hate to know what difference that would be in rankings. I think it'd be quite significant certainly don't really want to look and no Brody. I mean, that continues to hurt. Who would have thought he'd be such a season defining pick? I hate to think where my team would be with Brody in the side as well, but onwards and upwards, you have to play with the hand that you currently have. And that's seeing me not bring in Brody at this stage and uh, just hoping something crazy will happen. But he loved the wet, didn't he? The game was built for him against Gold Coast. Maybe he should be an upgrade target for you at 480,000. I think he's got break even at about 50. You know, what's the most screwed up part is that when you look at the round 14 by forwards, he actually stands out as one of the top options <laughs> or the top option even. So like, not only is he overperforming, but in the buy round, there's basically no true premiums at the moment. And so it's making it extra salty because I'm looking for around 14 by forward at the moment. I have none. And I'm like, who's my best? Oh, Brody. Gross. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Anyway. Frio's this week does get a lot tougher from here. Hmm. This week, we have some injury news to talk about. Jack Steele 
Big one. He scored mm, under 80 points, uh, landed awkwardly on his shoulder in a heavy tackle on the boundary line, played through the game, which coaches would have at least liked. But after he scored a, a sub time last week, he's slipped a little in price and is going to require a trade being out for six to eight weeks needing some shoulder surgery. So it's going to be interesting to see where people go. There's quite a lot of midfield premiums to sort through, which is pretty exciting. And I think it's going to actually lead to some more unique selections and more varied teams, which we haven't had a lot of so far this season. So that's going to be cool. We're going to go through options for him, and then we're going to talk about some of the trade-in targets. So we've got three rookies on the bubble who are looking particularly tasty, a couple of which are long-awaited backline options. So we'll go through Clark, Buku, and Rory Thompson. But before all that, a quick look to our Patreon group. See who took top score there. And this week, that team is Andrews. His team, Reds, scoring 24-04. Shooting past the both of us and sitting at an overall rank of 5,100 with that score. So congratulations to Andrew. And in our main Supercoach Coach group, the top score for the week was slightly lower in Joshua's team, the Cosmic Bombers. So congrats to those two big 2,400-plus scores. All right, let's talk Jack Steele. All right. Trade is going to be necessary. And Matthew has asked in our Patreon question thread, the best options for his replacement outside of the big four. So he's called out Neil, Clary, Took, and McRae. And I think probably do make sense as the big four. I think Miller is probably the one that not everyone will have. I think most people, while Clary bottomed out, would have grabbed him. If you don't, he's obvious. Most people have Neil and McRae. Took's an interesting one because he did slide for a little bit, got tagged, people questioning what he was doing defensively. He's had a couple of good games now and back into contention. He's now averaging 120 for the season again after dipping a bit there. Uh, unfortunately, priced back up to 630000 But would you still have him in the big four, Mark, or is his position a little bit more contentious than just saying, if you don't have one of these four, definitely bring them in? I think I can say both things. So I think he is still in the big four. He's got a three-round average of 137. Like, he's putting up the numbers. I think he's fourth in that group, though, and there are some players chasing, and in particular, probably Callum Mills and Rory Laird uh, chasing to be in that next group. Uh, I mean, even Paddy Cripps could be in that group as well. Um, so he's almost become, there's like a big three, and then there's four or five guys behind that is still threatening like 125-plus averages. All right, so that's interesting. We'll throw him into the overall mix of players that we're talking about then for replacements for steel miller versus like you said mills versus laird jb one of our patrons is quoting mills for upside and laird for consistency uh, the other one that could be worth throwing into that bunch as well petrarca looking at the actual ownership change stats he's actually outstripping all of them at the moment in terms of a trade in candidate yeah. so Petrarca coming into 3.2 percent of teams at time of recording Mills 2.9 led 3.1 now I'm guessing the main reason for that 
Petrarca's price is the best, 578000 Still 27K cheaper than his starting price tag. And his last three, 131, 106, and 136. Notably, though, he has played Hawthorne and West Coast in both those 130-plus games. And teams have been scoring particularly well against them, but he also does have North Melbourne coming up. So another big score to come this week, potentially. Yeah, I probably should have grabbed Petrarca last week. And I think that's just reflective of price. So with Steel being 590, some people won't have budgeted 40, 50, 100K to be upgrading Steel. Like, it's a pretty tricky situation when you're trying to upgrade uh, absolute jet in your team that's gotten injured. So I can definitely understand the Petrarca pick and don't mind it at all. I had the Petrarca versus Brayshaw selection last week. Um, and yeah, like I said, probably should have gone Petrarca given their short-term draw, but went with Andy Brayshaw and uh, he posted a 94, pretty disappointing from 26 possessions. Uh, hopefully he still comes good. I think that they're probably in the same bracket. There's no one else really in that cheaper bracket other than probably... Zach Merritt, but Zach Merritt posted 57 on the weekend and will get even cheaper. Um, I guess you could put Bont into that category, but probably doesn't have quite the upside of Petrarca-type players. The other player to throw into the mix, or actually the other two players maybe, Gary's asking about Brayshaw, and yeah. Blair Dewsbury's asking whether or not it's jelly time. So both around that yeah. 570, 580 bracket. Now... Wanted to get your thoughts because you are a fresh Brayshaw owner, but you are an overall Brayshaw fan. So I'm, I'm Might guessing be a bit biased. <laughs> uh, he's 557. So he's dropped a little bit from last week as well. And certainly yeah. presents a fair bit of value if he was one of the top candidates last week. And Josh yeah. Kelly, two of his last three weeks, 150 plus, new coach incoming. Does that? continue to sort of mean better scoring for Kelly on the horizon. And notably against Carlton in the last game, who have not been particularly good at letting up midfield scores with the amount of midfield points that they're winning themselves. That's tricky because we've got history here. So Brayshaw, I'm definitely biased. Absolutely love him as a player. So would recommend him. I think at that price, that is a really good pick. Um, the question is, can he actually reach the 120 club or is he like a low 110s, 115 guy? Um, and therefore you might be not quite getting the steel replacement that you're looking for. I mean, steel was realistically a captain potential sort of player. Um, whereas Brayshaw would, you'd only put the VC on him, not the C. Kelly also a little bit biased in the sense that just been burnt a bunch of times by Kelly. It's hard to believe Kelly. So if you look four of his last seven games have been under 100. Four out of seven. So he got two out of the last three over 150. Brilliant. But four of his last seven have been under 100, which is just not good enough for 580,000. You might give you his opposition run coming up. Sure. Two of his next three include West Coast and North. Damn. He's got West Coast, Brisbane, North, Western Bulldogs, and then Collingwood, Hawthorne, who both let up midfield points as well. So he's got four of his next six being pretty favorable. He has, he has, and he is the sort of guy that could definitely beat up on some of those cheaper teams and he's shown in the past he can post very high 100 um, scores. So, yeah, I couldn't go there personally um, and I therefore can't recommend him to anyone else, but that is a very good draw that you're describing. What about you? Um, Mark McVeigh going to unleash him in the midfield, put him into his more natural position? I think with Kelly, if you're getting him at a discount and you get him for the right patch, Kelly has been a very consistent 115 scorer 
in years gone by. And, uh, I don't think it's too high risk considering the amount of good games he has to come. So I would be more than comfortable with bringing in Josh Kelly. I guess the question is just ranking them, right? So let's split up the two candidates. We've got the players that are more expensive. So you've got Laird, Miller, and Mills, and we'll get to ranking those three in a sec. But if you are looking for a bit of a cheaper option, Josh Kelly, Christian Petrarca, Bontempelli, and Andy Brayshaw, what would your ranking of the four be? At the bottom four, okay. So I would go Brayshaw, Petrarca, Kelly, Bont. With the one thing about Bont being that he has some chance of being given forward eligibility in the next couple of weeks and that would make him a much much more enticing player to have in your team there's no guarantees on that one though and it'll depend where he plays the next two weeks i'm gonna go with petrarca man that's it's also hard (laughs) (laughs) you've got one person out of the four players on a list yeah i think i'd have to put kelly last even though his jaw looks really good coming up just because he plays for the most questionable side and he does have some competition for midfield points. So in terms of the risk factor, like he's the most likely to bomb out of the three, I think. Most likely to get a season ending or frustrating injury that'll drag out as well. That, like that's a huge factor with Kelly, right? Like between 2018 and 2021, he played 15, 14, 14 and 21 games. So that's a huge risk factor that we didn't talk about. I'd probably go Bont next and then Brayshaw. Is that just because you're hoping Brayshaw does bad because he's in my team? Partly, but it's more that Bont has the chance of getting that forward eligibility. Like the tough part is that in the next two games, he could play sole mid and that would sort of ruin his chances up forward. But if you look at Bont scoring, considering the role he's had to play so far, he's had one game underneath 100 being an 88. That's just cycled out of his price movement. Last season, he dropped to about 570. His scores looked underwhelming. And then he went on a run where if you didn't have him, he he would ruin you. I I think probably underrating the fact that even though he's been underwhelming, like the guy's still averaging 110. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good argument, mate. And I think it depends a little bit on your predictions around the Bulldogs. So can the Bulldogs actually make a push for finals? And that I think that'll have a big impact on how Bont's scoring goes. Another thing to look out for with Bont's Gold Coast this week, West Coast next week. Uh, so both have led up decent amount scores to midfielders and plays Hawthorne twice on the round home in round 15 and 23. And they've been letting up plenty of points to midfielders as well. And I guess the other thing to look out for is just with the buys, because I've already got four Bulldogs in my team, so it'd be pretty tricky to bring in a fifth one in from all playing in the same team and having a buy the same week. So you do have to keep an eye on those things at this stage of the year. Now, how about the top guys, mate? How are we going to rank those guys? Yeah, that's really tough. I think I'd have to go with Tug first, just because I started him for the reason being, I think he could be season breaking if he goes on a, on a hot run. He has been tagged out of games, but if anything, it just speaks to how strong he is as a player now. And the last three weeks have been a good return to form. He's now back to averaging 120. I think his downside is closer to like Laird's upside. Wow. 
and I think has less downside potentially than Mills. He's just the most stable potential pick. I think Mills is highest upside of the three. Laird has the lowest, but Tuke is maybe more likely to average 125 than Mills is, considering what he did last season. So Tuke first, and then probably Laird next purely on a run basis, and to factor in the additional 30k difference in price. So if you haven't looked at Rory Laird's run yet, this might entice you listeners. He's got West Coast twice. He's got Gold Coast, he's got North Melbourne twice, Hawthorne and Collingwood. So how many games is that? It's seven games against teams that give up scores. The opposition midfielders. Pretty That's scary. pretty enticing. And if you look at his uh, last six scores, so he 93 on his comeback game, but then he went 143, 120, 123, 116, 123, 142. So... For him to be averaging less than 120, he's going to need someone to tag him and have give, make him have a really down game, you would expect. And Rory has shown in the past that he can post the really high 150-plus scores as well. So I'd find it a lot harder to split Miller and Laird than you would. Uh, Laird didn't, wasn't in consideration in preseason because he was injured at the time, but is now obviously in more consideration. Oh, I'd, I'd find it a lot harder to split Laird and Miller than you are. I'd probably go... Laird, then Miller, then Mills. And that's purely on price. If Mills was the same price as them, I'd be pretty hard not to put him number one, given his scoring recently and the way he came home at the back end of last year. Yeah, and I'm probably underselling Laird's basement, which seems to have lifted to like the 120 mark. I guess the only reason why I'm talking about upside being different is Laird has scored 130 plus twice, whereas Miller has done that four times. Laird's basically going to score 110 to 130 pretty darn reliably, but Miller, I guess, seems more likely to be punching out you know, 140 type games when he scores big. So last one, do Darcy Parrish or Sam Walsh come into the conversation? I think they should. The only reason why I think you may want to leave them off is if you are looking to complete your team at the end of round 12, then Parrish and Walsh come off the buy in round 12, whereas Laird, Miller, Mills, they have later buys in round 13. It, it complicates the situation a lot more starting to bring them into it. I would say Parrish, if you look at his last six games, similar to Laird, looks pretty darn enticing. I guess maybe the argument that can be made is Laird and Parrish Unless you see Essendon outperforming Adelaide, if they take a similar share of the points each week, Laird has far less competition for midfield points, probably Keys, the other one, versus Parrish, where there are a lot of midfielders in Essendon that could be taxing on points, even if there's not a standout like Keys. Even then, that's probably underrating the amount of points that Merritt can take away. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, And Sam Walsh, obviously competing with a bunch of other midfielders at the Blues, so uh, my preference would be one of the cheaper guys or Miller slash Laird. And I think that Laird has really low ownership. He's a super obvious pick this week, and I think that his ownership will go up really significantly after this week. Very interesting, and this is what I mean by it's going to be exciting seeing what happens with where teams are going with the selection. Steele, before this week, was in 30% of teams, 
Wow. Mills was in about seven, Laird about one, Parrish about nine, Walsh about four. So it's going to change things fairly significantly this week, and that's going to be fun to see. So you guys can get it a bit boring with everyone picking the same tips. <laughs> but now, obviously, I'm going to be watching Rory Laird and hoping he doesn't get the ball, which is going to be extremely painful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the trade-in targets. Uh, we've got Greg Clark as probably the main guy that you'd need to look at bringing him in if you don't have him. He's almost a must-have. 117K, scored 100 in the first game. Tag last game, so didn't score quite as well with 62, but he's averaging 83 from the last two. His break-even's negative 97. He's a mature-age midfielder, going to play games, going to score points for West Coast. So if you don't have him, you have to find a way to bring him in. If that means leaving cash on bank for another week, you just got to do it. There's not that many rookies that come along of this quality mid-season. And looking at the debutants from last week, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in some of the rookies to come next week on the bubble. So definitely grab him. Yeah, I probably I'm overselling that. No, uh, every single competitive team should take Greg Clark, whether he works out or not. All of the reasons that you mentioned, mature age and playing for the Eagles. Like, it's just too good of an opportunity to pass up. He's an absolute must-have. All right. Now, the more contentious topic is Buku versus Rory Thompson. Now, when you look at the ownership change stats, it seems like a foregone conclusion who should be taking. Uh, Buku's coming into 5.5% of teams at the moment, and I have to actually have to look down the list a little bit more. Rory Thompson, only 1.4% of teams. Yeah. I have a feeling it's because a lot of people have to deal with steel. Then a lot of people yeah. have want to get Clark. A surprising amount of teams no longer have the boost. So they might only have two particular picks to bring in this week. And so all of a sudden, if you're going to bring one in, the consensus vote is certainly on Buku at the moment. Now, a little bit surprised going into the round, seeing such a stark difference. Not necessarily saying that that's incorrect, but... Rory Thompson has pretty good job security and Buku is there as a tall forward and it's kind of like a last ditch attempt at getting some marking ability up forward. Now I know he's looked good after a couple of games, but it's not that easy to lock down a key tall spot, not in the Bulldogs where they've changed multiple hands almost every few rounds for the past many years. Yeah, well, that's right. It's Buku's to lose at the moment because he has looked good and he's kicked, what, two and three goals in the last two games. But without those goals, his scoring is going to be significantly worse. I think that his ownership stats would be because he, he has a presence on the field, right? Like it's really noticeable that he is marking the ball and kicking goals, whereas Rory Thompson's getting points from spoils and stuff and it was wet and you could barely even see him on the screen. Buku, he's going to have some competition. Like you said, Jamar Hagen, who was pretty disappointing in the VFL last week, would obviously be competition. Josh Bruce coming back after the buyers. And at this stage, I'm potentially looking at someone to bring into the defense that is there for cover in eight to 10 weeks' time. I, I'm looking to bring someone in that I'm probably not going to be trading out, and I want to be playing in eight to 10 weeks when I have some outs from COVID or whatever. Now, Rory Thompson's scoring history, we've talked about it on the show before, it's pretty terrible. He can post like a 50 average. And if it was a 50 average and he comes onto the field two or three times, like it's better than donuts. And I'm pretty confident that I would like him in my team. Cause I think that Gold Coast have won the last two weeks, right? Against Sydney and Fremantle. 
and he's come back for the last two weeks. I think that he makes a really big difference to their defense and the way that they play. And Freeman had like way more inside 50s than the Gold Coast did on the weekend, but weren't able to score very much. And Rory Thompson's surely a big part of that and the way that they're structuring up their defense. So I think that if he stays fit, uh, he's an absolute lock. And um, if you look at his, his, his injuries, they were sort of ACLs. It's not like he's just getting hammies all the time and stuff. Hopefully he can keep playing and hold his spot and is able to be there in 10 weeks and will score the 50 or 60 when I need him. Personally, I do have Thompson ahead of Buku. I don't feel super confident about it, but it's just a job security thing. I did run a poll on Twitter. Buku had 50% of the votes and Rory 35. So there was a general preference towards Buku there with 14% saying take both of them. As you you mentioned, the teams are going to be running out of boosts. It's quite tricky. So Clark's a must-have. Steele's a must-trade out. And I think with a lot of teams having Gibkus, DeConing, McCartan, and players that are just ready to go in defense, right? Like it's this week or next week for defense. They need to go. You need to get that cash onto your field. I think it's going to be really important to take a defensive rookie as well while two have presented. So if you don't have a boost and you've got steel, you might have to take Clark and a defensive rookie and save the money for next week. Like that sucks for your scoring this week, but I really think that Clark is a must have and you must take a defensive rookie this week. Is that? pushing those two guys too hard? No, that was the next question I was going to go to. Before I answer that, I, I probably just want to read out some of Rory Thompson's scores as well for anyone worried about scoring. So he certainly has scored poorly in games where he has to hold down big defensive jobs. He scores 20s. He had a score of six in 2018, which is the last season that he played games. But in 2018, even though he didn't average particularly well. Here's some high scores to tout. 80, 86, 77. It's only three of the 17, but there's scores in the seventies and in the eighties there. And if we go back to 2013, he had a couple of scores in the hundreds, 105, 103, 95, 97. So I think high variance when he has to play on a big guy and be a little bit more accountable. But he does have the potential to spike a game here or there and still make the cash that you might need. But at the worst, he's there to be a guy on field for uh, a long period of time because most of us are probably at the point where you're not going to need every rookie you're trading in at the moment to complete your teams. Our listeners are going to be all thinking Marcus is using 10-year-old data. (laughs) Uh, that's that's fair all right in terms of the question around whether or not you should force the situation now i think one player to look at in terms of answering that question is a rookie debutante who played and scored 61 points for the western bulldogs in luke cleary he potentially is a reason why you might wait another week because there is another option to drain down to think job security looks almost worse than Buku, <laughs> but do you have any more information on Luke? If you're more optimistic than I am, then maybe that's a reason why you can shade these two and deploy the cash from steel straight away if you were in the scenario you described them. Well, I think the reason why we're so strong on Thompson, and we could be wrong, is just job security. And like you said, I'm not sure that Cleary has quite that job security. The Bulldogs do have quite a lot of injuries and players to come back over the season. And it's really a question now, which maybe not a lot of people are asking because maybe they're thinking about cash generation still. Uh, and Buku has been scoring better and Cleary scored pretty well on the weekend, better than Thompson has been scoring. But I'm thinking 
this guy's going to be in my team in 10 weeks' time. Um, I've already traded in the rookies that are likely to go out in the second wave. Uh, I think that anyone from here, I'm just hoping that they're going to be in my team pretty much till the end of the year. Yeah, I have some good concerns with the Bulldogs having so many players to come back into that side and Cleary, yeah, only playing one game. So I wouldn't be like basing all of my strategy around that. But you're right that there's a bit of insurance on not taking both Buku and Thompson, but I think you should still take one of them. The challenging part in answering the question, do you force through a steal to premium upgrade if you want both Clark and Thompson or Buku and you do not have a boost left is how many points can that be on field in a single week? If the person that's coming on field scores seven, like Rioli did on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big difference. You're looking at Laird versus seven. So I guess that's probably what I'd be looking at is if you can chuck the emergency on to play a loop to understand whether or not the variance is going to be great. If it's a score anywhere above 60, you'd be pretty tempted to take the one week hit. But all of a sudden, there were quite a few players that scored like 30 or less on the weekend, right? Um, there are players out there just not doing their bit in terms of on-field scoring. Now, if you're at a Macomb, right, you'd really have to ask yourself, can I see there being 80, 90 points in a single week from the premium that I trade in? And if so, how much would have to go right in bringing in Rory Thompson to make up 80 to 90 points? And that's a pretty tough question to answer because you're playing completely in the realms of hypotheticals, but yeah. 80 to 90 is a lot of points, right? For context, divide it by the number of games left remaining. And you're talking a difference of seven or eight points a game for the remainder of the season. Well, uh, it's like Thompson would have to come onto the field twice and score 50 in both games to just make up those points that you would have had a donut otherwise. So that is a pretty big if and a, it would be hard to take that hit in the short term and not think, oh, I can resolve that problem some other way later on. I would be tempted if the difference is a full premium on field to just roll the dice and fade Thompson. Um, he's not a must have, he's just a long awaited backline option with good job security, but points on field is ultimately what matters the most. And a lot of people are going to have spare trades. So maybe you could just bring in another rookie later on and fade it that way. So it is a pretty specific situation because you would have to have run out of boosts, which um, only idiots like me are in that situation. You would also have to have not bought in Clark already. And I think that there's a lot of teams that have already got Clark, including myself. And so it is a very specific situation that you're getting yourself there. Are you, are you thinking that Thompson and Clark are so important that you would hold over cash into next week? Yeah, I'm in the situation where I can boost this week. Next week, I don't even know if I want to deploy the cash because now I want to wait for Gorn, kind of want to wait for the round 12 DPPs to kick in to finish my forward line. But I'm more than happy to boost, not use the cash, maybe even next week, just to get the right rookies on field. If you look forward of the debutantes on the weekend, I don't really know that there's anyone that I'm excited to bring into my team at all. 
Clear is the one that looks the most tempting. I don't really know where you go from there in terms of the debutants that are rookie priced. Did anybody else look good to you? Like Sam Butler played, scored 18. Jesse Motlop, 34. Nguyen for um, Richmond, 39. Job security is super questionable on all of them. They're also yeah. not scoring well. Joel Jeffrey, 25. Brody Kemp's 56, 156,000. He might be another option if you don't He's go defense clear as well, isn't he? Yeah. So a more expensive option, but is someone that could actually hold a spot in that side. I guess that there are players coming back into the Carlton side that could potentially take that spot. So it's a little bit if you bring him in. He's very highly rated at Carlton and scored pretty well on the weekend. So he is maybe a bit more of an insurance policy there. But it's almost at this stage of the year, the rookies that come in are unlikely to have good job security. Like the, a rookie at this time of year with good job security is going to be really rare because why haven't they played already? The next batch of rookies are that have good job security are potentially going to be the ones that come out of the mid-season draft if there's any ready-made players drafted in. I would prefer to do Thompson-Clark this week and double up next week rather than do one up, one down two weeks in a row if that was the situation I was faced with. Kemp is in for Lewis Young, who's out with a calf injury. Now, he's going to be out probably until the buys, but he's likely back after the buys and could reclaim that spot. So they've got the first buy. You would have to hold him for the first buy and then go, oh, crud when they have held a rookie and brought somebody in who's gone up one price movement and then deal with a donut in that spot for the remainder of the buys so compared to that thompson offers a much much more tempting prospect i think caleb marchbank is coming back through the vfl um he's not on the Carlton's injury list so he if they can get him fit he's like an absolute lock for their best 22 as well in a similar role all right, so we've gone long on the main show, so we'll wrap it there. There's another big topic that we're going to cover, but we'll push it to the Patreon show, and that's Stephen Cornelio versus Nick Martin. Did we not even get to that? We did not, but yeah. uh, if you want that juicy stuff, join us on patreon.com forward slash Coach, where we'll be discussing that and more questions from our Patreon community. Anything to finish the main show with? as we head into the next round and a period where you're going to be away for a little bit without Wi-Fi connections. Uh, our listeners won't be hearing from you for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'll be in and out over the next few weeks. Unfortunately, I'm uh, heading out to Karajini National Park, which is supposed to be absolutely spectacular. So very keen for that. Spending time around Cape Range National Park, which is my favorite place in Australia, uh, snorkeling on Cape, uh, the Ningaloo Reef pretty awesome stuff over the next few weeks so hopefully i can find some wi-fi out in that area hopefully i can find enough to make my trades and stuff otherwise i'll be driving long distances to try and get a bit of wi-fi to make trades and check scores hopefully i can get some games in as well and hopefully the bombers to not put up the crap that they showed last week <laughs> yeah i don't know whether you've seen on the couch from last night but wow that was a pretty fiery interview with heppel and the club is very much under siege at the moment yeah, the Parker imagery has gone viral, hasn't it? So certainly an additional lightning rod that you guys probably didn't need at that stage, but fresh off a victory from Hawthorne. So it's a yo-yo. You might be back on the gravy train next week. People will forget. One week <laughs> is a short time in football and in Supercoach, as we are often reminded over the f 14 years of doing this show. With that, good luck. We'll catch you next week. Almost nearing the buys, make sure you keep an eye on your premium buy balance. 
and we'll be touching on some of that in our Patreon episode as well. With that, we'll catch you all next week. See ya. See ya. Crazy, 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 crazy